So any questions from previous classes? You just missed last class, last week's class. Okay. So um, you saw this before, haven't you? Okay. So we say a human is made up of body, mind, intellect, and and the self, the spirit, Atman, the God principle, which enlivens us, makes us function. Without that, we can't function. Just like electricity in a light bulb. Without electricity, the light bulb cannot emit light. So electricity is similar to the spirit within us. All gadgets need electricity. Similarly, all beings need that spirit in order for it to function. So the body, mind, intellect envelopes the self. It's the core within us. The spirit and the matter. Body, mind, intellect, we say, is the matter. Why, why, do, we think, why do we say it's the matter? Spirit is the enlivening factor, and the body, mind, and intellect, we say, is the matter. What is matter? Science. Yeah. So what are the five elements that make up the world? Who's the, who's the science? <laughs> what are the five elements that make up any material? Space, fire, water, air, earth. These are the five elements that make up everything. So the matter elements within us, the body, mind, intellect, is made of those five principles, those five elements. That is what everything is made of. And we identify with that. We identify with our body, mind, and intellect, but we don't identify with the self because it's not made up of those five elements. And our objective in life is to seek the self, which is our true personality. All, all scriptures say we are not this body, mind, and intellect. We're that spirit, the self, the God principle. So in, in our life, our objective is to find out that true personality, to become one with that, which we call self-realization. How do we do that? By understanding how we as a human being function. We can only go from the known to the unknown. We only know the body, mind, and intellect. So we have to use that in order to get to the unknown, which is the spirit, the self. So we have to find out what makes us tick. For that, we have to learn this subject, to find out who we are. The sages in the Himalayas, thousands of years ago, meditated and managed to find out how a human being functions. And this is what we're studying. 
They found out how we function and how to get to that self, that spirit, that God principle within us. They made a scientific discovery by going within. The whole world, all scientific, all sciences go outwards. How the world function, but no one sees how we function. Yes, sure, from a medical perspective they do, but not from within the spirit, how we function. This is what these great sages did thousands of years ago. This is what we're studying. So by studying the subject, it takes us from wherever we are in life today, all the way to the self, our true nature, our true personality. So they say that when we reach, in the scriptures it says, when we reach that state, our true personality, we reach the state of true contentment and happiness. Until then, whatever we're experiencing in this world is just temporary happiness. A tiny percentage of what the real happiness we can feel. And you can test this. When you start this journey of self-discovery by gaining this knowledge, as you come to these classes and gain this little nugget of knowledge, and you apply it, it starts making a positive difference in your life. You start experiencing a small degree of contentment, small degree of happiness, just by coming to a few classes. If you apply what we're learning, the little things that used to bother you no longer agitate you. Well, they agitate you less. That's the sign of development. Any questions? So, just to give you an idea, focus of what we're doing here. I'm not, you're new here, so, you know, just to give you some idea as well, background of what we're doing here. And this is what our scriptures are. Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, etc. This is, this is all the, that's what they're saying. Find out who you are. And this explains who we are. The spirit, vasanas, our desires, the matter layers, body, mind, intellect, the body, organs of perception, which are eyes, ears, nose, tongue, taste. We contact the sense objects, organs of action. We go back into the world and act with the organs of action. That's our physical personality. Our mind is the feeler, feels, emotions, our emotional personality, and our intellect, the thinking capacity. The gross, which is the thinker, thinks of the world, intellectual personality. This guy is very intellectual. Why? Because he knows a lot about the world. The subtle intellect, the contemplator, thoughts of reality, spiritual personality. So if your subtle intellect manifests, then you become spiritual. And this is a human being. That's us. So recap from the last couple of class, well, last class. We're, dis we're discussing the qualities of the mind at the moment. So, we said it's due to the mind's selfishness, and this has caused the agitations in us. The mind is never happy. And with the intellect undeveloped, remember, the intellect controls the mind. The mind is like the child in us. With the undeveloped intellect, the mind has free reign over our personality. Hence, we go through the ups and downs of life. Something good happens, we're happy. Something bad, we are unhappy. But we as human beings are made to be happy permanently, all the time. 
This is where we're trying to get to. So in order for us to achieve this permanent happiness, we need to understand who we are. So the qualities of the mind. What are the qualities of the mind? Everyone? Likes and dislikes. We function based on our likes and dislikes. We like this, so we're going to eat this. We dislike this, we're not going to eat this. But what we dislike is good for us. What we like is bad for us. But we still go for that. Why? Because the mind says, I want this. This is how we function. Likes and dislikes. I like him. I don't like her. I don't like her. Why? Just don't. So I'll, be f I'll, I'll, I'll go out with him. I won't go out with her, though. Likes and dislikes. There's nothing. You can't understand why. I don't like to exercise. I like to lay in in the morning. But you know exercise is good for you. You know that. But you won't do it. Likes and dislikes. So this is how our mind functions, everyone's mind. Yeah. So this is the nature of the mind. What else? See, the mind is constantly playing tricks with us. All our, you know, everyone's mind. This is how it is. Avoid, likes what, acts one based on what it likes and avoids what it dislikes. What else? What else? What else is the mind's uh, quality? Hello? Kid. Kid. Yep, that's the nature. Worry and anxiety. The mind is always worried and anxious. Worry and anxiety. We are constantly worried about what happened in the past and anxious about what is going to happen in the future. So all this worrying and anxiety, toing and throwing, causes agitations in the mind. What happened last week? What's going to happen next week? And this worry and anxiety saps your energy. And this is why we're tired and fatigued. That's why we need weekends and holidays. We said children do not have worries of the past and anxieties of the future. That's why they have so much energy. They're in the present, they're playing, they don't care what happened yesterday, what's going to happen next week. They don't have this. Issues, until they get older. So another thing about likes and dislikes was the law of life is that whatever one likes ends up being detrimental in the long run. Whatever one dislikes ends up being beneficial in the long run. This is the law of life. And you have fixed likes and dislikes. And the world is always changing. So how can it cater to your likes and dislikes? We gave an example. You only like summer. You don't like winter. You're miserable for the rest of the year. You're only happy when the sun comes out. But the world is changing. The world, you know, there's four seasons in the world. That's not going to change for you. You have to change for that. So this is the issues. So we need to develop our intellect and control the mind's tendencies of worry and anxiety, likes and dislikes, and then conduct our lives. Because only the intellect can guide the child within us. Then we said, what's the other quality? Desires, desires of the mind. What is a desire? What is a desire? 
Is she? What? Instant pleasure. More, more, more specific. What is a desire? Visual. Visual desire. So desire for sight. Sight and smell, taste. Absolutely. All our desires manifest from the mind for the five senses. This is how we contact the world. Desires are described as a stream of thoughts flowing from you towards the object of desire. You see something you like, that desire pops up. I'd like that. You see a cream cake in the, ba in the bakery. Oh, I like that. That looks nice. Desire pops up. The more thought you put towards the cake, the more chances you're going to go in and buy it. The less thought you put towards the, that cake in the window, the less chance that you're going to go in and buy it. So you can either think, go past the shop and see cream cake. You know what? I'm going to be tempted. I'd better carry on walking. Or Whatever. What else do they do? That's it now. The desire is getting stronger. You'll go in and buy it. So we, we did a diagram about desire. That's how it works. You, you observe next time you have a desire manifest. So we, that's where we need the intellect to kick in and say, don't eat it, let's move on. That's why we need the intellect to control the mind. Because only the intellect can do that. I've got four of those bags already, or similar ones. I don't need another one. Let me just carry on. I have strong desires for handbags. Let me move on. Because the more you contemplate, the more you're going to go and get it. This is how the mind works. That's why the intellect has to kick in. So, it's a stream of thoughts going to an object of desire. And that object of desire is specific to you. Your friend next to you, whatever, may have no interest in that whatsoever. Their desires are different. So, desires causes agitation, suffering and sorrow. Why is it that... They cause, cause that. This is still recapping, by the way. Because it can't be fulfilled, When it's not fulfilled, that desire, your mind is agitated. And if a desire stays unfulfilled, it causes sorrow. Yeah, it's very important. Does, does that make sense? When your desire is not fulfilled, it causes agitation. Oh, I really want that. I really want that. And then when it's not fulfilled, because you can't afford it, sorrow. We compared it to a log fire desires. No matter how many logs you put in the fire, it will burn and ask for more. It will never stop asking. This is how desires function in the mind. Yeah? Everybody's desires. 
Because the mind is insatiable and desires are insatiable, if you leave it uncontrolled, it will generate new desires to no end. Hence, the stress and agitations one suffers continues. That's why we're not always, no, we're not always content and happy, because of our desires. Is there a strength process with regards to desires? So, for example, I have a strong liking for, I don't know, uh, science um, or travel. Um, and it would be more difficult to control that desire mm -hmm. than if I saw a cake and I can walk away. So, it's not necessarily the thought I'm giving it but it's understanding where a strong the, the weakness or the strength or we have all five senses which we already discussed on it by already mentioned the five senses we have we find that in most human beings one or two of those senses are stronger than others so a person may want taste or smell you like perfumes or sight. So th in those areas where you know that your desires are more powerful, you need to be aware. It's your mind that prioritizing which one is which. It's your, that's what makes you the person you are. So in that area, you have to be careful. Everyone will have a couple of the senses which are more stronger than others. You may like good taste, but when it comes to music, you're not interested. So that means you're, you have to be careful when it comes to food. A person may like music yeah, and it's uncontrollable. He's always listening to music all the time. He's not paying attention to anything else. He's got to be careful. Okay, I'm not doing my, what I need to do because I keep wanting to listen to music. So I have to be careful in that area. So everyone has a certain area which, and you all know which one that is if you, you know, analyze. Is that what you meant? There is an aspect, though, where, for example, a sculpture or an artist would say that actually it's only their strong desire for something that has enabled them to be successful in the field. It's like a chef. A chef would have a strong desire for taste and would then create. But they're channeling that to something specific for benefit of whatever they're doing but we're talking about desires which are detrimental to us yeah it's causing us not to function the way we want to function you know i got a lot of work to do this evening for office tomorrow but this program's coming on which i've been following and i just can't get away from it i have to, I'm, I'm gonna have to watch it okay but you've got so much work to do so that desire to watching TV is stopping you from doing other things. And you know it's going to stop you from doing other things. And you know you have to do that work. This is what we're talking about. Where they channel that desire, that, you know, the painter, whatever, that's different. We're talking, see, he's using that for his benefit. So there's also that aspect of being aware, isn't it? Yeah, so, but only to, we can only be aware if we understand how we function which is what we're doing. So desires go through several changes and modifications, transformations. When the desire is fulfilled, it can generate further feelings. 
can change to arrogance, fear, fearful of losing that object, greed, attachment. So desire doesn't just stop when you fulfill it, it creates other issues. You get into delusion, arrogance over people below you, envy towards people above you. Look at this guy, the car he's driving. Look, my car is much better than his. And then you look up to, well, that guy's driving that S-Class, you know, one day I want to... Arrogance and envy. If the desire is interrupted by another object or being, you develop anger. So what is, what is anger? How would you describe anger then? Unfulfilled. Unfulfilled desire. You like, you like someone. Your desires have strong, you have strong feelings for someone. Somebody else comes in between, you get angry. That's a desire deflected, you become angry because your desire is not fulfilled. That's anger. So if you are angry, it's because of a desire that's not being fulfilled. So all these uncontrolled emotions, you lose control of your personality. So that's why we're doing here, developing our intellect, learning to develop our intellect so we can control all that. So then you can live your life properly. That's quite gross though, isn't it, when we're thinking about one person liking another. But for example, a desire for a parent to want to see their child to achieve. When the child doesn't do his homework, you get angry, don't you? Mm -hmm. It's your desire. Even though it's an unselfish desire. It's your desire. So you need to control that. When you're angry, then the child's not going to learn. Causes you grief and misery. Your desire for the child to learn. So what is the goal in life as far as desires are concerned? Minimize them. Minimize them. Why? <laughs> we really don't want to come back with another bag. <laughs> Perfect. The goal is to extinguish, or at least reduce them. Okay, forget reducing them. Okay. Let's not increase them. <laughs> Let's start by not trying not to increase our desires. Then we can work on reducing them. So we have to control them and finally extinguish them. Because we said it's desires that separate us from our true personality. It's desires that come between a human and God. So, we had that formula. Human plus desires equals, sorry, God, which is our self, plus desires equals human being. So if we reduce our desires, we can get back to Godhood. Therefore, desires are regarded as the devil in most religions. Satan in Christianity, Shaitan in Islam, Mara in Buddhism, Asura in Hinduism. Those are all different names for desires because that's what separates us. So the more in you encourage desires, the further it takes you away from the self within. That's why in the Gita, the three yogas are given. Karma, Bhakti, Jnana, to reduce our desires. You practice those, reduce our desires. So we have to cross that obstacle of desires to reach God. Any questions? That's a recap from the last week, since you guys went, uh, went into more detail. But it's all good for even the people who came last week because it makes it more stronger for them. Any, any questions? Okay. So we're in the middle of uh, chapter four now.
the two motivations. <coughs> so I'm summarizing each, each topic. Rishi, you got it there? Two motivations. It's chapter four, Fall of the Human Intellect. Yeah. Is it the mind wreaks havoc? Uh, it's uh, it's not the mind wreaks havoc. No, it's um, modifications of desires. No, no. The chapter is number four. Two motivations. Two motivations. The mind wreaks havoc. That's it. Sorry. So how do we develop the intellect? We keep talking about intellect. How, we develop the in how do we develop the intellect so we can control the mind? What do we need to do? Huh? Gain knowledge, did you say? That's one aspect. Be aware. Be aware. Question everything. Doesn't matter who's saying it. Question it. Understand it. Think about it. If it makes sense to you then, you, then you use it, then you follow it. S study, higher, study the scriptures, study higher knowledge, whatever that may be. You know, there's no prescription to that. Between four and six in the morning, because the mind is still sleeping. Six o'clock, the mind wakes up, then it's too late. Between four and six, the mind is still resting. So the intellect is available to you to read and think and You'll be surprised how it works. This is what these sages have discovered. I know it's difficult, but try it. You know, for, in fact, just wake up. Whenever you wake up, just say for 15 minutes, I'm going to read what I studied on Sunday. That's a good start. And when you see the benefit of it in your day, where the benefit you'll see is that the mind wants something and the intellect will say, no, it's okay. We don't need to do that today. You'd be surprised how it just comes. And then once you understand how it works and, it's, and you actually experience it, then you'll be more motivated to do it. But until then, you have to take my word for it. So the two motivations. Desires manifest as two driving forces in life, which are acquisition and enjoyment. All of us, that's what we're doing. We're acquiring and enjoying. We want to acquire what we desire and then enjoy it. Our goal seems to be to acquire as much as we can throughout life. We think that the more we acquire, the more happiness we will gain. Hoarders. 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 Some people are hoarders, yes. The more we acquire, the more happiness we will gain. We believe that acquiring these objects and beings, we will get happiness. Does everyone understand acquisition and enjoyment? If you analyze, this is what we're doing in life. We're earning money to buy stuff. Whatever we desire, or go on holiday, or do whatever we want to, where our desires take us. But this is what we're doing. Our motivations. We acquire and we enjoy. Because we think that it'll bring us happiness. We buy a car, then we enjoy driving it. We get married to the boy or girl of our dream, and then we enjoy their company. We build a house, then we enjoy living in it. This is our life. These two motivations drive our lives. Does everyone agree? Anita, do you agree? The great sages say that true happiness is not derived from these two motivations. <laughs> so, 
these great sages that we're listening to, they're saying, you can't get happiness from that. And this is what everyone's doing. Why? We're going we're gonna to look in more detail why. Why do you think they say that? There's no happiness in acquisition and enjoyment, in objects and beings. This is what they're saying. Why? Any, any, anybody? It's very short-lived. Very short-lived. It's temporary. Absolutely. What did we say? The mind is insatiable when it comes to desires. It will never be satisfied. So it's temporary happiness. Once you obtain the object of your desire, it will pitch up another desire. More power, more riches. It's never-ending. Even though this pursuit causes you agitations, you won't get, we won't give up. We still continue to do that. Because of our ignorance. We think it will give us happiness. That's why we're doing it. We think if we buy that next model car, we will get happiness. We think if we buy the bigger house, we'll get happiness. Because we believe that the happiness is in that object. And the sages are saying, no, it's not. You won't give up. It's the nature of the mind, everyone's mind. It truly believes acquiring that object, it will be happy. Now, they're not saying don't acquire. The world is there. Everything is there for us to enjoy. We have five senses. We have the world. And it's a beautiful place. So we, we can live in the world and enjoy everything. There's nothing wrong with it. They're not saying don't. But what we need to do is control and regulate a mind's craving for that acquisition. If I get that, I'll be happy. If I get this, if I marry that person, I'll be happy. So until that happens, you're miserable. Rishi. Until you get it, you're miserable. And this is the problem. You need to be happy with whatever you have, whoever you are right now. And then try to get more if you want. But don't don't give up your, per, per, your temporary happiness, your happiness that you are having now. You are here right now. Be happy and content with whatever you have. But then try and get something more that you want. And this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. Otherwise, you're always projecting your happiness in the future. And because the way the mind functions, you will never be happy. This is what they're saying, Ajish. You'll never be happy. Because you'll only be saying, oh, no, when I get that, I'll be happy. And the mind is agitated until you get it. As soon as you get it, the next desire pops up. So you're back to square one. So what they're saying is standardize. I need a four-bedroom house. Okay, you've got a four-bedroom house. I need an Aston Martin. I need a Rolls-Royce. I need a Toyota. Whatever you want. Get that. I need a partner. Get the partner that you want. And then be content. Don't keep chasing because it will never end. This is what they're saying. Be happy with what you have now. Then work hard and get whatever else you want. And then be happy then. So you're always permanently happy then. We also said, the mind doesn't know what it wants. You fulfill one desire, that desire then changes to something else. It doesn't know what it wants. 
Suppressing the desire is also not an answer, neither. That's the good news. Only the control of the desire, directing the desire, and only the intellect can do that. And if you do that, you're always happy, content with whatever you have. It doesn't matter what the neighbor buys, doesn't matter what your friend gets, you're happy with what you have. Never base your happiness on future acquisitions. As I said, we all, we all won the lottery already, living in the West. People living, how many, 70% of the world live in areas where they have less than us? In different degrees. We already won life's lottery. We have everything. We go to a supermarket, we can buy anything we want from all over the world. but we're still not content. So we have to understand where we are in life. We already won the lottery of life. So the first motivation is to acquire. The second motivation is to enjoy what we have acquired. You, buy, you build a swimming pool and then you swim in it. You're enjoying it. Nothing wrong with that either, Anita. What you've acquired, enjoy. We need to control the unregulated contact and the craving for the enjoyment. So they're saying, enjoy whatever you've, whatever you've got, but don't dis indiscriminately enjoy it. And we're going to understand why. Does everyone understand indiscriminately enjoying it? I'll give you some example. Not to indulge, because if you indulge, you lose the pleasure. You marry a person of your dreams man, woman, great personality, good looking, you spend 24-7 with that person, you lose the enjoyment of that person's company. Similarly, buy a new object, gadget, laptop, iPad, whatever. You enjoy using it all the time. You keep contacting it, eventually you lose the pleasure of it. New model comes out, okay, I want to buy a new model. That model that you've got, you spent so much time enjoying it, but as soon as something else comes, it no longer gives you the same enjoyment when you first contacted it. That's because of unrestricted craving for enjoyment of that object. It agitates the mind and ruins your peace. You have a bar of chocolate. What's the best chocolate in the world? Neither. For her, for her Rocher. What's the best chocolate, Sean, for you? Uh, Lindo. Lindo. I'll give you a Lindor for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> a week later, you'll be saying, I don't want to hack it anymore. <laughs> but it's your favorite chocolate. But that's a good thing, right? Because then it will stop you from eating it. And will it? <laughs> if, you, if you're sick of it, it will stop you from having it. For a while. <laughs> or you might be totally put off. Try sometimes it. Sometimes you can have something with so much. The point we're making is that the best thing in the world, if you contact it, we're unrestricted, you lose the pleasure of it. This is the point we're trying to make. Doesn't matter what it is, it could be a Rolls Royce. That's why the car, people change cars every three years. The manufacturers know, okay, the mind is now neutralized to that. Let's uh, bring a new model out. The new model might not be as good as the old model but you'll still change it. 
Because they know how the mind works. Best chocolate in the world. You eat a bar every day. It no longer tastes like the best chocolate. You can't even, you detest the sight of it. You become neutralized to it. You eat one bar a week. You maintain the pleasure. Friday evening. Okay, it's time for me to eat my chocolate. You maintain the pleasure. This is what they're saying. Control your contact with sense objects, then you maintain the pleasure. What's your favorite holiday destination? Anyone? Maldives. Maldives, you know, that's what I got here. <laughs> Anita? We send you there every month. There's so many islands to discover. <laughs> we send you every month there. You, you lose, oh, I can't be bothered anymore. It's too much, this. Boring. You go once a year, you maintain that pleasure of that place. Because that's how the mind functions. This is the point we're making. So, the point is, does happiness come from that object or being? It's the energy that you put into it, isn't it? Energy. Does the happiness come from the object or being? Okay, another example. Okay, you go to ice cream parlor, three of you. Sean, Rishi, Nidiksha, sorry. You go to an ice cream parlor. One of you likes vanilla, the other likes chocolate, the third likes pistachio. Which you love vanilla. You take a bite and you think, wow, this is the best ice cream I've tasted. You're getting a happiness, you're getting such great happiness from that experience. You ask your brother to have a taste of it. This is the best vanilla ice cream I've tasted. Your brother says, I hate vanilla. I don't know how you can eat it, it's yuck. Your sister says, it's not bad, but I prefer my pistachio. Is the happiness in the object? Individual taste. See, if the happiness was in that object, everyone should feel the same as you do. So it's not in the object or being. You like Maldives. Take someone else, they think, it's too hot here, the sand is everywhere, you know, I hate swimming. They hate Maldives. Happiness is within us. This is the point we're trying to make. Happiness is within us, not in the object or being. Otherwise, everyone should feel the same. When they have an experience, when you contact the world, everyone should have the same outcome from that experience. So happiness is based on you, the person. So when a person contacts an object, ice cream, you get either pleasure, no pleasure, or pain. Depends on the person, not the object. Why does it depend on the person? I think you said it. 
different levels. Different likes and dislikes. Everyone has different likes and dislikes. You're absolutely right. Everyone like has different likes and dislikes. So that's why happiness is not in the object, but within. So if we regulate what we contact, we maintain the pleasure. Mango season in India, three months mangoes come out. Third month you ask someone, do you want a mango? They say, forget it, I've had enough. That's why after nine months, they don't have mangoes for nine months. Then they all hoard and start enjoying mangoes because they haven't had it for nine months. Okay, it's a difficult concept to understand that there is no happiness in the world. There is no happiness in the objects and beings. So there's another example. See if you can understand this one. Because we are accustomed to acquiring and enjoying. Because we believe acquiring that will give us enjoyment. Do you understand, Ajish? We believe getting that will give us enjoyment. We believe that happiness in, this is in, in acquiring that object. It's a lovely summer's evening. It's getting dark. Full moon. You look, you look outside and the moon looks amazing. You seen that, Anita? So, the moon, you can just about sort of touch it, how big the moon is so big. Whole garden is lit up. That's how bright the light from the moon is coming. You sit on your swing in the garden and look at the moon, enjoying its light. I ask all of you, is there light on the moon? Oh, reflection of the sun. But you believe there is light from the moon, you can see it. But we all know that there is no light on the moon, isn't it? But you're experiencing it. For someone who is seeing the moon for the first time, or someone who doesn't, who lacks the knowledge, can you explain to that person there is light, no light on the moon? Difficult, isn't it? Yeah, but you can't say, "Look, there's no light on the moon." Because what do we do? The whole garden is lit up. Look, lights coming from the moon. You can't explain to them. Similarly, these sages are saying, "We all believe that acquiring objects and beings' experiences gives us happiness." But no matter what they say, people find it very difficult to understand. Just like. You're trying to explain there's no light on the moon. That's the example they give, because it's so difficult to understand. But once you gain this knowledge, you experience it, you apply it, then you realize there is no enjoyment. Because it gives you temporary pleasure when you get it. This is the problem. This is the problem. It gives you that feeling of happiness. The mind is happy for that moment until the next desire comes up. So, the next topic is attachment. Now, um, a, lot of atta a lot of the uh, attachment we covered in Holocaust of Attachment, which is the book we did, the first book we did. Um, so I'm gonna go over it in not too deep. The other quality, the mind becomes attached to whatever it contacts. When a contact is made towards an object or being, either that thought is dismissed or you linger with that thought. The lingering is a thought flow towards that object or being. 
If this is ungoverned by the intellect, it turns it into attachment. So if you don't control that thought flow, it turns into attachment. The law states that wherever there is attachment, there will be anxiety, stress, suffering, and sorrow. What is attachment? What is attachment? Doesn't have to. You don't. You can say whatever you think attachment might be. Something you can't do without. Something you can't do without. Okay. Form of owning. Sorry. Form of owning. Form of owning. Desire to own. Desire to own. Okay. Attachment. What does attachment mean to you, Nick? Nick, sure. Something you feel you need. You need a toothbrush to brush your teeth. You're not attached to your toothbrush, are you? <laughs> if you're attached, then you'll never change it. So. You're upset. So it's attachment is described as. Self-centeredness, selfishness, a selfish preferential <coughs> relationship. You're attached to a person. You're attached to your car. So it's an extension of you. If something happens, a scratch, someone scratches that car, you're upset. Someone scratches your neighbor's car, do you feel anything? You may feel sorry for that person, but you don't feel any pain, do you? Because that is yours, as you said. You, you, you own it. It's part of you. Someone tells your child off. So how dare you tell my child that? Someone tells someone else's child off, you don't care. Because he's an extension of you. Self-centeredness. Selfishness. Preferential, preferential relationship. But we think attachment is love. This is the problem. We confuse love and attachment. Attachment is actually opposite of love. Does it, who knows the formula? Love produces peace and harmony, attachment, suffering, and misery. You think you love your partner, but the minute they don't cater to you, you don't love them, you hate them. So when they cater to you, you love them. It's actually attachment, selfishness. This is what the point we're trying to make. If you really love them, you would love them no matter what they did. That's pure love understanding.
Love produces peace and harmony, attachment, suffering and misery. Throughout life, we attach. When young, it's toys, your jersey. We develop into a young man, it's wealth, fame, power, we're attached to that. Family, house. Throughout our life, we're attached all the time. Partner, you meet your partner, you're attached to your partner. And when you're fed up with all material objects, it's religion. Mind attaches itself to whatever it contacts. This is another quality of the mind, gets attached. Once you become old, your mind is full of worry and anxiety. What follows attachment is possessiveness, this mind. Whatever it is attached to, it becomes possessive over it. And this is detrimental and devastates the person, that possessiveness. So we have to develop our intellect to preserve and protect our love. Once you become attached to a person object, besides suffering, it can also lead to separation, ultimately loss of relationship. As long as you cater to me, I'm, I love you. Once you stop catering to me, I don't love you. This is how it is. It can even lead to death due to the distress. A lot of uh, Shakespeare's poems are based on that. This is the law of nature. Romeo and Juliet, Hiranja, all these stories talk about a strong attachment where someone, they die. Those are stories to portray what attachment is. You've all heard the saying, temple rests on two pillars. If the pillars become too close, then the temple collapses. So, keep your distance. Attachment is the minus, my, minus, my, M-Y-N-E-S-S. My wife, my child, my house, my business, my position. What is that minus? It's just that selfishness within you. Actually, if you think about it, nothing belongs to you. No one belongs to you. When you came in the world, Rishi, did you come? What did you come with? <laughs> Nothing, not even the clothes on your back. When you go, you will go with clothes on your back. That's about it. Everything is temporary. It's an understanding. You have to understand from the higher perspective. What am I doing? Everything is temporary. Why am I getting so involved in this, you know? I loved my toy. As soon as something better comes along, that love for that toy is gone. In fact, you say, give it, you give it to your brother. You know what? You know I love this toy, but I'm going to give it to you. Why? Because you found something better. <laughs> Not because you <laughs> Not because you feel that your brother could enjoy it. It's more because you found something better. You become a saint. <laughs> the attachment is now reduced because you've attached to something else. Nothing actually belongs to you. It's all temporary. Even this life is temporary. We get so involved. Just enjoy your experiences in the world. Do the best you can. And get out. Take that stance. Everything works out well. But for that, you need to have that understanding.
there's three poems in the book. We're going to cover the poems after this anyway. But there are three poems in the poems book, which explains what attachment is. There's a one poem which is, talks about attachment to wife, one attachment to husband, and one attachment to son. There's three poems in there, which whoever wants to read can read. But um, we will be covering it. Any questions on attachment? We just covered it briefly because there's a whole book on it, which we covered. That was the first book we covered, the Holocaust of Attachment. <coughs> It's in there, by the way, if any of you guys have got the full works, the uh, Holocaust of Attachment is in there if you want to understand what attachment is in more detail. Any questions on that so far? It's something not to be attached. Mm -hmm. Obviously, have partnership, parents and so forth. But you still, you, you've got to have an attachment to, as a parent, to be a parent with your children. You've got to, got to fulfill your obligation to guide them Absolutely, you're right. But you're, you're confusing attachment with obligation. We're not talking about obligations. Your son, you tell him to do something. If he does it, you're happy. If he doesn't do it, you're unhappy. That's attachment. If you loved him, you understand this is his nature. He will do that, no matter what I say. That doesn't mean that you don't guide him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he wants to do something silly, of course you have to step in. But I'm talking about your understanding of how his personality is. It, it just understanding the attachment, right? Because when you're reading, it's all saying detach yourself. No. You can't actually detach from anything. In life, you can't, if you, in fact, you can't detach from anything as a human being. You can only, you can only attach yourself to something higher. And then you let go of the lower. That it, you're, so you're letting, as I said, the toy. You got a new toy. So you let your favorite toy go to your brother. You're not detaching yourself from the toy. You're taking up something higher. You're now attached to something higher. Similarly, you can't actually detach from anything. Because the mind is, doesn't, cannot detach. All you can do is take up something higher. You love your car. You've had it for 10 years served you well. The minute you buy a new model, where's that love gone for that car? Scrap it. Why have you detached from that car? Because you're now attached to a different model. So you can't detach. So we've covered the mind, Anita, the qualities of the mind. Now we, chapter five, the role of the intellect. We talk about the intellect. The intellect, the adult in you. Now, I don't want everyone to get a wrong idea here now, yeah? We don't want to get everyone, oh, my mind is bad. Please. We're only discussing the negative qualities because they can have a bad effect on our lives. There are many positive qualities of the mind. Love. Empathy, devotion, kindness, positive feelings. But these have to be developed. So if we work on the negative qualities, then what's left are the positive qualities. So if we have to work on the negative, we have to understand the negative qualities, work on them, then we're left with the positive love. Reduce your attachment, what's left? Love. 
become unselfish, become self, reduce your selfishness. What's left? Unselfishness, kindness. So we work on the negatives, the positives are there. We don't have to work on the positives. They automatically manifest. So the topic says, humanity has stopped thinking. So we, as humans, suffer from various emotions which we've discussed, attachment, aversion, greed, envy, lust, more, the mind. These emotions emanate from the mind, as discussed in the last chapter. So the Guru says that these negative emotions are like a virus, and due to the virus, the intellect has been destroyed, the adult in you. Your whole life you're functioning on your mind. So we have stopped thinking. See, what, the problem, what happens is, the mind is already there when you're born. Within six months, the mind is there. Ch children already, I like this, I don't like that. I like this food, I, where, do, where do they get that from? Automatically, they have likes and dislikes. They want to be with the mother, they don't go to anybody else. The mind is already starts developing at that, those traits. The intellect only comes in around when you're about 10 years old, 10 to 12. You know, in the Jewish community, they have that, is it bar mitzvah? That's to say, look, he's becoming an adult because his thinking capacity is now manifested. His intellect is there. So now he can develop that. That's why in many religions, I think in the Brahmin, they give that... Uh, yeah. it's the, because the intellect is now manifested at this age. These are what these ceremonies are. So intellect comes around 10 to 12 years old. But the problem is where the mind automatically is developed. The intellect has to be developed. It's like a muscle. So by the time you're 10 to 12 years old, the intellect is manifesting. The mind is already so strong, it's a, it's a difficult battle. And we don't, have, we don't teach this in school. We don't teach people how to develop the intellect. See, in, thousands, in hundreds of years ago in India, that was part of the schooling, how to think. This was taught, but now it's all gone. So the mind is already there, the intellect has to be developed, what chance do we have? So that's why he's saying humans don't have stopped thinking, because they don't have an intellect. In fact, including me, didn't know there was such a thing as an intellect until we came across this subject. We all heard of the word, but we didn't know actually what it meant. True, is she? So most people aren't aware of what intellect is. So, in ignorance, we're all happy with just merely obtaining knowledge, giving us intelligence. What does intelligence give us? Knowledge of a particular subject. You learn chemistry, you have knowledge of chemistry. Doesn't mean you can repair your car. Your knowledge is specific to that subject that you've, you've studied. You studied computers, you know about computers. You don't know about medicine. So whichever area you study, you get knowledge of that area and you are intelligent in that area. We think just because someone knows a lot about nuclear physics or medicine, we look up to them. They may not know how to, how to talk to his wife. He may not know how to talk to his wife, how to deal with his children. He has great knowledge of nuclear physics. He doesn't know how to deal with people. He doesn't have to talk properly. You see what I mean? So you can have the intelligence, 
You get angry all the time. No control of your own personality. This is what we're saying. You need, the intellect allows you to control your personality. Intelligence allows you to go in the world, exchange that knowledge for money, which you then exchange for knowledge from somebody else. You earn money as a computer analyst, then you go to the doctor and pay him money to get knowledge on medicine. This is all we're doing. We're trading. You know, we look up to people like that. Oh, how intelligent he or she is. But this intelligence doesn't help us to develop our own original thinking. How to make my marriage work. How to reduce my temper. How to make the right choices in life. Doesn't help us. We're the only species that has been given the ability to think. But we have to develop this art of thinking by questioning, reasoning, everything in life. Don't take anything for granted just because your parents tell you. That must be right, my parents told me. Think for yourself. And then if you come to the same conclusion, that's fine. This develops the intellect. And we need this to control our mind's activity for our own survival. Arthur Schopenhauer, this is the problem. One needs an intellect to understand he doesn't have one. This is the problem. <laughs> Often Schopenhauer, German philosopher, says, intellect is invisible to the man who has none. So we need to understand that I have no intellect. Only then you can develop it. So devoid of the intellect, we merely follow the herd and a regular path of living set out by our predecessors, our parents, who learnt from their parents. In fact, now it's not even from the parents, it's what Instagram and other celebrities we follow, we want to copy them. We think that's right. So we don't think for ourselves, this is what they're saying. We've lost the art of thinking. We're unaware of the seriousness of this situation that we're in. We don't start to think and develop the intellect, it can lead to disastrous consequences. Because the child within us controls our lives. And we already discussed the negative qualities. Any question on that? Have you had enough? It's 11.40. Have you got the, mo have you got the capacity to get more? <laughs> <laughs> Amrit is there, he's saying bring it on. Result of non-thinking. So, okay, we don't think, we go by the mind. So what are the consequences? We don't know what intellect is, and most of us don't use it. Therefore, we don't think. We function on the mind. Devoid of the intellect to think for ourselves, we pick up baseless faiths and beliefs without questioning and reasoning. We follow blindly without any proof. Some of our strongest beliefs stem from our childhood, but because they are so ingrained in our daily life, we find it difficult to question them. Anita, you've been brought up in a particular way, you're conditioned. We pick up beliefs and traits from young, from our parents, our siblings, friends, school, 
and ingrain them in our lives. We come we become conditioned by our environment that we are born in and think this is normal. You're born in a communist country, you think communist is best. Born in a capitalist country, you think that's best. You start fighting each other. I'm a communist, you're a capitalist, this is correct. You're born in a Christian family, you adopt Christianity as a religion. Muslim family adopt that religion. What he's saying is that we don't think, what is it that we're believing in, following? We start killing for our beliefs, which we don't have any substantiation for. No foundation. Why? Because we haven't thought about it. We've just adopted it. I'm from a Hindu family, therefore I'm a Hindu. Muslim family, so I'm a Muslim. Let's find out what that belief is. Right now, all of us are here, a product of a past environment and upbringing. Everything we believe in is without thinking, is this right for me? I'm a vegetarian, why? Because I was brought up that way. Nothing, I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but you don't think, well, why should I be a vegetarian? Because it's wrong to kill animals. The spirit is within them as well. Okay, I believe that I don't want to kill, um, therefore I'll be stay a vegetarian. Or you might say, you know what, the animals are there to be eaten. God has provided animals, so I'm going to carry on eating. But at least you thought about it, and then you've made that decision. This is what they're saying. Example, two babies at birth are accidentally swapped. One is taken by a Muslim family, the other a Christian family. They are both brought up in those faiths. Anita. Even though he was born to a Muslim family and vice versa. Neither has thought about, questioned or analyzed their beliefs. And their whole life is based on that belief. A Muslim child born to Muslim parents, a Christian family takes and brings him up on the faith of Christianity. The Muslim family takes the Christian-born baby and brings him at, at a Muslim. Do you think they're going to change their religion? Conditioned, we call it. <laughs> Can't use that word. <laughs> it's the same thing, meaning, by the way. We become conditioned by our environment. One minute. That Muslim baby born as a Christian now will kill. <laughs> See how, if we think about it this way, how ridiculous is it? So what it's saying is think. Then if you decide that this is right, then you do it. This develops your intellect. This is the point we're trying to make. If you blindly believe without thinking, then you're just following the herd. Whatever everyone else is doing, we're doing. Think. Always ask why. Think. Ask why. Think. You got, you got, your dad has said, always ask why. <laughs> this is what we're saying. This develops our intellect, that's why. Yeah, but if you question it, mm -hmm. like, especially in industrial religion, because nobody likes me questioning about that. Why not? Um, oh, well, just. I, I know. <laughs> exactly. Conditioning. They've been conditioned. Yes, they've been conditioned, but if you question it, then it seems as though you're going against the religion itself. Why? Your elders. Yes, our elders, and they don't like it because you're questioning it. But now you know 
you don't want to comply by their likes and dislikes. Yes, but sometimes you have to comply by their likes and Why? dislikes. Why? You have a choice. Yeah, but then that discusses disruption. It's respect for the elders. Yes. You can still respect them. You. you can still respect them. doesn't mean you have to follow it. Oh, no, that's not right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But this is your own... Uh, not my own. In a sense, you have, to, you have to develop your own art of thinking. Okay, just because the elders are saying this. Let me think about it. Why are they saying it? For their happiness, we have to do something. Whatever it is, whatever it is. See, you may still do it, but at least do it to understand it's for their happiness. This is the point we're trying to make. Your thinking is, okay, I don't understand why they want me to do that. I can't understand how that can help me spiritually. Yeah? But it makes them happy, so I'll do it. So now you've thought about it. And you're doing it. Would it cause agitations? No, because you're doing it for unselfishness. So even then you're thinking, you see? This is the point we're trying to make. It's not the action, but the thought process that's gone behind the action is what we're talking about. You're believing in your elders, that's what you're saying. But if the elders say to you, jump off the roof, you will automatically question that. Yeah, why would you question that? You don't disrespect them. Jump off. This is the point we're trying to make. Think about what your actions are. But you may decide to do that action for their respect, which is fine, but you thought about it. And if it doesn't make sense to you, then don't do it. I think the, the scenario base of jumping off the roof is quite gross, isn't it? Of course it of course is. Nobody's going to do that. No. They're going to say why. But we're talking about the little little things that occur on a daily basis that they would expect you to do um, yeah, because that's their belief system. I yeah, suppose the thing is, like you said, it's about knowing why you're doing it to keep them happy, but actually inside you, you know that that's not what you believe in. Yeah. It's a large quantity of uh, question whereby if you're jumping, uh, like you said, uh, it's uh, quite extreme. Mm. Yeah, you're going to find that that question is quite terrible, yet the smaller um, diversion is okay, but that question isn't. You're yourself are questioning that process, which means that you're thinking. See, the thing is, you value your life, so you're not going to jump off the roof. Correct? That's the difference. You drew the line there. Absolutely. No, it's it's a case. Somebody has to break the cycle. Don't have to break the cycle. As long as you're thinking, the thing is, there's nothing wrong with doing what we're doing for our elders. Okay, out of respect, we would do things even if it was silly, and has no meaning. Because of respect, you know. Yeah, it's the problem is with you. Know, any agitations is because of you. No one else. Seriously, honestly, it's because of you. You haven't thought about it. So what? I must accept it. No, I'm not saying you should accept it. Then what should I be doing? 
You have to understand reason and think, why do I need to do this or not do this? And then you stand by your stance. If you, don't, if you have respect for your elders, yeah. then you take the stance, well, I don't want to do it, but it's going to cause them problems, grief. So that's why I do it. And what's the big deal? They're not asking me to jump off the roof. What's the big deal? You understand? So it's from your own understanding. You know, with religion, especially with religion, this comes up. Most people lack the knowledge of spirituality. Okay, let's face it. Most people lack the knowledge of spirituality and they're all following what was taught to them when they were a child from their family and vice versa. So they have now become strong beliefs which have no foundation and this is the problem. And that's why we can't question because they don't know the answers. That's the bottom line. But now you're understanding, you're learning. So you can take the stance of Okay, this is where they are, but I'm a daughter-in-law, I'm a daughter, whatever. This is my duty. I don't believe in it, but this is my duty, my obligation. Then it's a different ball game, isn't it? You thought about it, you understand why, why would there be agitations then? You're doing it for unselfishness or respect or whatever. You don't necessarily believe in it. Any questions? There's a lot to take in. Sean? See, by learning this, we can conduct our lives better. Until now, we don't know how to conduct our lives because this isn't taught. It's been lost. That's why this knowledge is called a secret. Knowledge is called a secret because only certain people are exposed to it. Not that it's close to other people, it's just people are not tuned to it. Some people are tuned to it and they will absorb it and it will help them. That's why the classes are very small because most people are gross. Most people are involved in their desires. And when it comes to spirituality or learning about life and learning about yourself, um, it repels them. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's just where they are. Strong desires. Strong desires. This is the issue. And you have to think in this class. Most people don't want to think. You know, if there's uh, bhajans or you know the uh, person's preaching and so on, there'll be thousands of people because there's no thinking involved. Singing, garba, this, that. So, but the knowledge element is very uh, small. Here, the amount of knowledge we've just taken in this class, if you apply that, your whole life is changed. You don't have to come to another class. You just apply what you've learned today, you never have to come to another class again. <laughs> but that application. I'm not looking at nobody, I'm talking to everyone. But its application is difficult. It's difficult. That's why we need to go through 10 books. Bhagavad Gita, 702 verses. All this is leading up to the Bhagavad Gita, by the way, yeah? We have to understand all the basic foundation before we can study the Gita to understand it properly. <laughs>